This year especially, politics have unfortunately been taking over fiction and stories, or so we might think. We might suppose that our political views are shaped by strong beliefs and personal experiences and just the facts. But one fact is that we all have little imaginations. We have pictures hidden deep in our minds that also influence our beliefs about politics. Let's go dig up these hidden pictures. This is Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven, daring to venture into very dangerous waters. And I'm E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher. Lorehaven exists to help you find the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and then to mine these stories for beautiful, wonderful, true things that can help us become more like our creator, Jesus Christ. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I approve this message. This is episode 40, How May Fantastic Stories Help Us See Politics in a Biblical Perspective? So if you are listening to this podcast, it means that, sadly, the sweet meteor of death once again failed in its presidential bid. What a typical politician. All talk, but no action. I was for Picard Riker in 2008. I actually made a bumper sticker, printed it out using photo paper, which is not very <laughs> weather resistant, and put it on the back of my car. Or was that 2012? Actually, I think that was 2012. Folks, I've been disappointed in at least the presidential elections for quite some time. The Congress and the Senate and all that stuff, like all this, of course, very United States focused. Sorry, international folks, but you, we all have to put up with American politics whether or not you live in America. Anyway, uh, if you're going, ugh, 2020, you know, just nobody would just vote for Jesus. Like, could we just have any functioning sane adult, please? Like, all that about the presidential election. Like, I'm kind of there. I was there in 2016. I was there in 2012. I was there in 2008. I've kind of been there ever since I was old enough to vote, actually. So we're not going to complain the whole time, though. There's enough other podcasts for that. Uh, we hope to have a unique perspective on the imaginations that we have, the, like I said in the intro, those little hidden pictures that we just can't help having. And then by setting those in a more biblical direction, uh, hopefully we might be able to look at politics on issues of public policy with at least a more biblical vantage. And then who knows, we may actually get a little joy out of the process, uh, even if we are not, uh, not taking joy in exactly who is on the ballot in this particular election year. Yeah, well, Stephen, my uh, fake uh, presidential candidate yard sign is always uh, Kang and Kodos, which I'll talk about in a minute. But for you Simpsons fans, you already know where I'm going to go with this. But uh, for you non-Simpson watchers, I'll explain in a little bit. See, Zach's the heathen of us. I grew up homeschooled and <laughs> didn't watch The Simpsons. It was evil and Bart had a bad attitude. <laughs> so that that's a one, one concession that I have is obviously each one of us is going to have a limited vantage, uh, particularly as Americans, as guys, you know, as Christians. Uh, that's going to affect our perception of things. Uh, we'll have some other concessions there, some of which uh, hopefully could warrant an episode each on their own. Uh, but before we get to those sweet hot concessions, this episode is sponsored by the new issue of Lorehaven. Yes, last week we released our fall 2020 issue, and you can read that today exclusively at lorehaven.com. The cover story features Emily Hayes, the author of Seventh City. Uh, we have her article exploring the themes of that amazing book. We have actually the full prologue from that book, so you can get an idea for free what kind of story awaits you. And then we have the featured review of this Arctic fantasy in which a young woman has to pursue her brother who's been kidnapped by the invaders and made to tell the location of the secret seventh city. Lots of politics in there, actually. Not issues, just the idea that sometimes there are hard choices to be made when you've got two groups who are at uh, conflict with each other. Some people will react differently uh, with a full-on conflict, and then others will go underground and wait and wait and try to build relationships, but ultimately they will prove to be true in the moment of crisis. This issue also features 14 other reviews of the best Christian-made fantastical novels that we could find. You can get that all at lorehaven.com and of course subscribe by going to lorehaven.com slash subscribe. Uh, that gets you the digital updates anytime we release a new issue or have some other amazing updates. Uh, of course, we'll be having more of those as we move into the year 2021 and uh, contemplate upgrades for this web resource then of course with christmas coming up i think uh, at least right now i'm wearing one of our gift items from the lorehaven store these are exclusively designed t-shirts 
for Christians who love faith, uh, biblical faith, that is, and biblical imagination. Check them out at lorehaven.com slash store. All right, Stephen, I think it's time to tell our listeners who we voted for and therefore who they should vote for. Am no, I right? No. Unfortunately, we're not going to do that. No. <laughs> not that I wouldn't if you were in person. But Zach, this is a problem with the imaginations going on right now. If I say who I plan to vote for, because as we record this, I actually have not voted. I missed the early okay. voting thing. So uh, that, that is in the future. So I got the jump but, on you. <laughs> and hopefully by the time you listen to this, I will have voted. I hope by the time you listen to this. But you know that means you've got time to change my opinion. Just uh, uh, email us at podcast at lorehaven.com and you tell us who to vote for. Oh, we're going to get letters about these. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's not what it's about, clearly. But I would tell you and have actually on the, on the Facebook wall. If you pay attention, you can tell, you know, where I lean and all of that. But uh, this is this is definitely more about the big picture thinking and the ways in which imagination can steer us in particular directions when we think we're just following the facts. I'm just paying attention to the facts. I'm not swayed by uh, opinions or any of that false feelings. Stuff fake news yeah uh, come on uh, <laughs> facts don't care about your feelings it is said <laughs> however sometimes one's personal experience doesn't care about feelings or facts there you go uh let's move on to that concession stand if you're not too stuffed with that leftover halloween candy we have some freshly made piping hot concessions for you let's see if i can run these down real quick uh, obviously like we said we were not going to talk about who to vote for we're also going to try to make this discussion a bit more evergreen. Uh, everything right now is disaster 2020, blah, 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 <laughs> doom scrolling. Anybody who's listening to this uh, going back in the archives from the year 2025 is going to feel like we were so naive and so oversheltered and didn't know nearly the doom that awaited us. Either way, uh, this content hopefully will be a bit more accessible and not just locked in this particular place and time. Uh, we will, however, talk about some public policy, at least on the way to exploring this topic. The reason why I say public policy is that I actually heard a really great uh, episode of the Think Biblically podcast where Professor Scott Ray said that he prefers saying public policy rather than politics because politics is the entanglements and you know the different uh, things that people do to get to different public policy. But public policy is a matter of belief put into action, you know, codified in law and case and precedent and all of that. Not sure if that's how he would describe it, but that that's that's how I interpreted him saying, let's call it public policy, not just politics. Zach, I think you and I both, and probably plenty of our listeners, could also uh, assume and just take as a given that voting is in some way the civic duty of a Christian who lives in a country whose governing system encourages the citizens to do that. Well, I, actually, I just read an article about it. It's funny you should say that word, civic duty. There's an article on the Gospel Coalition that argues that voting is a civic responsibility. It, it's a civic right, we'd all agree. It's kind of a civic responsibility, but it's it's arguable if it's a civic duty. The duty means something you can't abstain from. Mm, and so okay. anyway, we, we can put that article in the show notes, and listeners, you can check that out and Tell us what you think. I'll go with responsibility. And, and of course, that means that there may be some exceptions. Like, for example, at least in the 2016 and this year's election, I think there are Christians of tender conscience, and I hope I'm choosing those words carefully, who do not feel that they can in good conscience vote in a particular way. I want to respect those people. I, I do hope that, you know, they might mature or, or grow in a, in, a, in a direction, you know, maybe looking at voting as more of a consequentialist thing where you're paying attention to the results and it's not just about one's feelings but i also don't want to trod on someone with a tender conscience that would be wrong uh, at the same time uh, christians i think we can also assume uh, that christians are not to try to run society like a church zach if you can believe this i was in an internet debate not too long ago where of course someone used the t-word on me theocracy, theocracy yeah. yeah that's uh that's the only uh, <laughs> The only thing you can do when someone says that, you know, is okay, that is on the surface a bad faith argument. And I will do another T word trolling uh, <laughs> if you pull that on me. Like, I, I just don't even, I cannot even take that charge seriously. Well, uh, I also wonder if that could be used in either direction. Oh, know? it it totally can because, okay, theocracy or sexocracy. I think my response specifically was, hey, you know, even a theocracy is nicer to live in than a world ruled by those who are enslaved to their particular sexual appetites or sexual identities. I'll just come out and say it. 
I think folks are a little too oversheltered about the the religious nature of that movement, which, is, of course, is another podcast on its own. Back to this concession, though. Yeah, it's true. Christians don't run society exactly like a organized church. We can debate how they are different, but I do believe that Christians ought to pursue significant influence in their world. I, I think that is a responsibility we have, however we play that out in our various countries and cultures and contexts. Uh, but it is good then for us to try to flesh out the gospel, not just preach the gospel in the public policy influences that we have. Can't do, unfortunately, we can't do a long discussion now about exactly how that works in a representative republic. Uh, but I think that that is a role that we have. You don't just sit there and then let the king do things. Part of the way the whole system is set up from the Constitution on down is assuming an active and influencing uh, voting public, which leads to another assumption we have. We're not just like the Old Testament society. Our leaders are not kings. I actually cringe, oh listener, when Christians, I think of good goodwill sometimes, and sometimes it's just to save time, uh, they will speak specifically about the president of the United States uh, as if he's a king. You, know, you cannot uh, jump directly from even uh, the New Testament verses talking about you know, honoring the king. It's true, yes, we're to make prayers and supplications for all in positions of authority. I think that's a more direct application but the president is not the king, not in the Old Testament, and he's not a Caesar in the New Testament. He is the chief executive, the head of one of our three branches in a system that is called a federalist system in the United States. And I could geek out with all of that stuff right now, but all of those leaders are supposed to be in tension with one another and working with one another. Uh, the president himself is charged with the oath of office to uphold and defend the Constitution. If there is any king in the United States, it's the Constitution. Uh, we're a republic organized under that. So in case you hear me say something like that uh, in the next uh, discussion, uh, this is an assumption why. Well, that, that's a good response that the Constitution is our king. I mean, yes, I see the yard signs. There's one in my neighborhood. I vote for Jesus as king. And I, I get that. But at the same time, we do have to have a human leader. And hey, they all swear an oath to the Constitution. So that really is what's in charge. And you know, when you put all this together for me, Stephen, this is a lot of why I love irreverent humor about politics. I, I grew up with the like the David Letterman and before he got too angry all the time. And it just was always about just making fun of uh, political leaders and politics. And I just feel like something happened in the last five, 10 years or so. It, it's become like this, I, I don't know, almost like this golden calf or, or team blood sport or Hunger Games, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use. Yes, we should pray for our leaders. In fact, our pastor this morning reminded us of that. But in some sense, can't take them so seriously that they're not above criticism. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, I think that Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 6 are what really ground me in all this. And that as Christians, most of all, we need to be united in Christ, not united behind a candidate. And because Ephesians 6 tells us, who our true enemy is, and it's not the other guy. It's not the other guy's candidate. It's not the other guy's party. It's the the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's the powers of this uh, present darkness. Anyway, that's my little soapbox, is that we, we have to kind of put things in the right place. And we also need to be completely prepared for those soapbox moments. That's what this episode is for. Uh, hopefully, too, we give a little voice to any of those little thoughts that you may have had during this whole thing. Uh, that may not be addressed by the political podcasts or, or even some of the Christian podcasts who talk about how oh, the Christian doesn't belong to either political party. Like, well, to me, that is a given. Like, I've known that since I was a teenager. But you may also find that one party or the other aligns better with your view of faith. Like, it's not about belonging. So, like, some of those little cliches, even among the pastor podcasts, like, I, I think maybe not as many people believe those as some of these uh, pastors or you know christian pundits think uh, and then those who would believe something like that are probably not going to be persuaded by a podcast yeah that's true i mean look i've got plenty of opinions about politics i've got a dump truck of them that that i'm ready to just unload but you know i i delete most of everything that i start to type on facebook just and maybe that's more what i'm talking about is that social media has become so political and i I still remember when Facebook was so young and scrappy and it was all about sharing funny pictures and 
cute little updates and stuff like that. And maybe that's what it is because we're all locked behind our screens now. And that's how we interact. It just, it's so easy to go there, but my escape hatch is humor. And as we're going to talk about, it's sci-fi and fantasy and just some great ways that stories help us look at these issues. Exactly. So let's move into at least I kind of wrote out three main points here. You can probably think of some more. And of course, there'll be plenty of overlap uh, with these, which seeks to explore the main question. How can fantasy that is you know, fantastical stories, sci-fi, horror, etc. Uh, there's plenty that we could talk about just uh, from a couple of episodes ago. No, it was actually the last episode, uh, episode 39 about Dracula. How can great fantasy help better shape our views on politics and public policy? and how we view our elected leaders. And the first thought I had about that was that first, uh, stories help us explore how messy our world is. This is a world with hard choices and gray areas and no easy answers in a lot of ways. That is not to say that we are moral relativists. That is, uh, everything is just uh, up for grabs morally based on your situation. Not true, not true. There is absolute right, there's absolute wrong, and God knows which is which, and he has given us his word, which is sufficient, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to be in very hard scenarios. Zach, a, a few uh, days ago, I finally managed to shorten my opinion on a particular very godly, thank God for him, Christian leader uh, who dared to write an article about the presidential election. He didn't name names, but it was pretty obvious who he was talking about. And he doesn't write about this very often. So when he does, everybody sits up and goes, whoa, Pastor X wrote about this. And I would say very cautiously that I thought his approach left much to be desired. Uh, this particular great pastor and author has written a lot of good stuff about uh, the gospel and biblical exegesis and you know, exploring the text. But every once in a while, he, he kind of struggles with the application. He kind of struggles with saying, okay, now in light of this, here's what you should do. Like sometimes he seems less interested in that. But I, I think it kind of helps when a pastor will at least walk through some imagined scenarios of applications. Like There's no easy answers, even if you know the exact truth. Uh, and in that case, uh, my response to that was, I'm, I'm not sure I would want this guy with me if, if we were in one of those ethics class lifeboat scenarios. You know, where, where the, the, the purpose of, to borrow from Star Trek, the purpose of this exercise is to demonstrate fear in the face of certain defeat. You know, you cannot always hack the Kobayashi Maru simulation like Captain Kirk did and simply change the parameters, rig the deck in so many words in order to make the, the answer easier. That just doesn't happen in our real world. It's not always just good guys versus bad guys. There are also anti-heroes. There are villains with complex stories. Uh, it's not as easy as just shooting a bad guy in the head. Like even the good stories will show the hero struggling. Like, wait a minute, if I let this guy go, you know, if I let if I let the Joker go, then you're going to put him in Arkham Asylum and he's just going to break out and then try to take over Gotham City again. And then even in the Bible, sometimes the heroes are the good guys and the sinners are the bad guys, but the heroes will sin. And the sinners will do good things. And then you get the psalmists writing psalms asking why everything is so confusing, that the bad guys seem to win and the good guys seem to fail. Uh, similarly, in uh, history, uh, historical figures and early church leaders uh, are not always the simple good guys compared to the bad guys. Uh, one of my, um, let's just say a, a Christian apologetics leader is actually very firm on talking honestly about the failings of church leaders. Like he'll straight up say that, yes, Martin Luther had issues. And he would say Martin Luther, for all of his good deeds and good beliefs and fighting for true doctrine, would have probably wanted to put someone like the apologetics leader in jail or possibly execute him because that's just how you did things back then. It's uncomfortable, but that's reality. And the best stories remind us that reality is full of those really annoying no-win scenarios. Darth Vader and other horrible villains. You don't just throw them down the shaft sometimes because they might be able to be redeemed. You don't know. Should you try to redeem that person or should you just decide, okay, that's it. You can't recover him. He's lost. Same is true in the world of the church. Unfortunately, Christians can behave in very abusive ways while God can work good in secular authorities. No easy answers again. To bring it home to the election, I will dare to say this, 
you might have to vote for a bad guy to prevent a worse bad guy. And in America in 2020, there's a lot of that going on right now on all sides. I don't think anybody is particularly happy with their guy. Uh, that, that, that's probably an overstatement. There are rallies and stuff. There are some people who are falling all over themselves to vote for that guy. See? There, I'm falling for the temptation. Live on air, I want to reduce everything to simplicity as if, <laughs> oh, well, you know, these screaming hordes waving their flags, you know, with their guy's face all over them. You know, deep down, they aren't happy with their guy. I don't know. They kind of look like they're super happy with that guy. Like, yeah, there's people who just want to live in the black or the white, and ah, they just don't want to deal with the fact that sometimes there are really uncomfortable gray areas, and we step in the gray and we get it all over ourselves. Well, this is where Reddit is such a gift because you can go on there and find a thread of people you completely disagree with and think are <laughs> terrible or stupid, whatever people, but you can just hear from them themselves and see why it is they're voting for the guy that you think is the bad guy, because they think that guy's the good guy, you know, and they think the guy that you like is the bad guy. And so th that's what I keep thinking about Steven is that no one votes for the guy they think is the bad guy. Everyone has their reasons why they think it's, the right thing. But I promised a Simpsons reference, so I'm just going to cut straight to that. It's the uh, Treehouse of Horror, I don't know, season four, season five, somewhere around the, the early golden days of the Simpsons. And uh, space aliens invade the Earth. And this is during, uh, it was uh, Clinton uh, versus Bob Dole. Uh, Bob Dole. Yes. And uh, they both get kidnapped by the aliens who then uh, basically create counterfeit bodies of, or whatever of these guys so the aliens are there posing as dole and clinton and then uh homer wouldn't you know it finds out their evil plot to deceive america that they're actually reptilian <laughs> overlords and so he exposes them and there's this classic moment steven where they say what are you going to do you have to vote for one of us <laughs> and then uh someone says well i think i'll vote for a third party and they say, go ahead, throw your vote away. And then there's Ross Perot right on stage, and he's he's angry about that comment. Oh, but you're going to have to explain the Ross Perot reference for those of us who weren't paying attention <laughs> in 92. I actually was. Like, I, I remember yeah. I, wasn't even the, um, I wasn't even 10 in 92. Yeah, well, yeah, Simpsons would have been around in 92. Yeah, I mean, Ross Perot and the, called it the Reformed Party. I don't think it uh, lasted yeah. past the decade, but it was the last viable third-party movement and represented, uh, you know, probably uh, at least the idea of it. I would have loved the idea of it, you know, to, to actually force a plurality or at least some compromise between the, the two major parties. And maybe that is what happened. I, I don't know. I'm not an analyst, but I remember the whole Ross Perot thing. That, li that little guy was on the debate stage and everything uh, with uh, Clinton and Bush, uh, the, the, the first President Bush. Yeah. But that whole attitude of they're both evil aliens, you know, I don't want to vote for either one of them. That's, you know... That's the Gen X cynicism that I grew up with and that I still see a lot of that today. It, it's very interesting. I've, I've seen some other iterations of that, but I would prefer the Gen X cynicism over this, uh, you know, kind of the millennial religious fervor <laughs> over the candidates, you know, where the president is not the chief executive. Uh, he is your dad. He's your high priest. He's your prophet. He's your king. Like, I mean, some of these messianic uh, symbolisms that are attached yeah. to a single human celebrity who may not even have that much experience in government. I mean, that's not a new thing uh, with uh, 2016. That has been going on even before then. And, it, and it's just, it really seems to have reached critical mass. Uh, thanks in no part, to, <laughs> thanks in large part, actually, uh, to social media and just, just the reduction of everything to its simplest, most base symbolic form. This is a human being, folks. Put not your trust in princes. Well, and you, you make a good point that reality is about hard choices and it's about hard alliances to accomplish a greater good or defeat a bigger bad guy. Did you watch the Mandalorian season two? I just finished it an hour ago. Okay. All right. And it so was gonna... suitably epic and yes. so beautifully nonpartisan. John Favreau wrote it. Right. And man, does that man like his tank missile moments? If you remember the, <laughs> if you remember the tank missile moment from Iron Man 2008? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Iron Man just shoots the tank, turns, walks away, and then right behind him. I think there's two of those in this episode. So, yeah. you know, Hayao Miyazaki likes his whimsical flying machines and his scenes of people eating. John Favreau likes his tank missile moments. <laughs> okay, so listener, this is a bit of a spoiler if you haven't watched it, so feel free to skip ahead 30 seconds. 
But the episode focuses on this village that's being terrorized by a crate dragon. And the Mandalorian wants to help them, but knows that they're not strong enough to fight it by themselves. So he recruits the Tusken Raiders, the sand people, and they have to work together. And there's, but they, they don't like each other. There's a lot of bad blood. And at one point it almost comes to blows and the Mandalorian stands between them, which by the way, it was pretty awesome that the Mandalorian can speak Tusken Raider. That was, that was surprising. But he stands up between them and he stops the fight and he says, if we keep fighting each other, the monster will kill us all. And I just thought, yes, Amen. that that in a line is exactly how I feel about politics. There are greater evils th- than the person on the other side of the ticket. There are, there are true evils in this world that are trying to kill us all. And we, we have to find a way to work together, even if we don't like each other, even if we're totally, you know, there's a lot of bad blood. Uh, so look, I'm not going to apply that to any particular public policy, but I just, just as a, uh, kind of a core feeling, that's what I, I feel all the time. People may disagree on what the true monster is, but I would say that at least two members of Christ's church, if we keep fighting each other, the monster will kill us all. Uh, and the only thing that's going to help us get out of that, uh, will be to understand at least starting to understand that there are no easy answers here. Uh, You may have thought differently about the whole election in 2016 than you're thinking now because things change in the last four years. Uh, Right now, there's still a pandemic going on like that changes things radically. And you may also have changed your mind. I I will say, I think I've I've changed my mind in a lot of ways. Like I was even going back and looking at some of my old posts and going, yeah, yeah, I, I still agree with myself, but things change now, you know, like. Someone may grow up as a teenager and have gone through some kind of abuse or something and say, I'm never going to discipline my kids that way. And then they become a parent and things change and they think, you know, actually, I probably might need to discipline my kids that way. And that doesn't mean that they're a hypocrite or they're turning evil or something. It just means you mature, conditions change, and you realize that life maybe wasn't as simple as you thought it was. Unfortunately, that does mean, too, that people are going to tag you with the H word, hypocrite, uh, or they're going to pull a kind of a spiritual guilt trip on you. Be convinced about these things in your mind. Uh, Or as uh, the Texan hero, Zach uh, Davy Crockett, is reported to have said, be sure you're right, then go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're speaking my language there as a native Texan, so there we go. No, Davy Crockett was a good patriot, so you couldn't have done anything wrong. Yeah, I guess (laughs) he was from Tennessee, or wait. Well, he was he was, Tennessee, uh, he, that's he, right. He, he died he, in Texas. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Okay. Um, you know, I kind of want to Almost. claim him though. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, you know, my last state was actually Kentucky, which uh, was host to Daniel Boone for a while. Although I don't okay. think he was, well, he may have been born in Kentucky. It was Abraham Lincoln. Kentucky wants to hold on to. Side note, we should really have an episode about Abraham Lincoln vampire slayer. Uh, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember episode 39. Like, I don't want to be flippant about vampires. I've decided to be in the vampire cage stage. And I think okay. I might stay here until the next presidential election. <laughs> Speaking of vampires, uh, that actually relates to my next thought here is that stories help us to see this mixed up messy reality apart from all the labels and parties and symbols and stigmas uh, that we get in modern life. And that's, that's really a big idea behind a lot of Christians' viewpoint on fantasy or fiction altogether. A few episodes ago, uh, for example, we talked about C.S. Lewis's famous Watchful Dragons quote, uh, in which uh, Lewis, in his one or more essays, explained uh, that he didn't just make up fantasy pictures for fun. The things that he wanted to create started as pictures, and then he put them to form in order to uh, get them out into the open and start organizing everything into a story. And then he thought about the practical use of the story. He started thinking about it, not just as a writer, but as a man, he wanted to think, could these stories be useful to help, for example, people to get past a lot of the images of Sunday school and the discomfort and the obligation to feel about the biblical narrative about the gospel. And could the stories help them to rediscover these things in a new way? Uh, Similarly, a modern story creator may start with the images, but may also start thinking about that as a person. Uh, Zach, a moment ago, you were talking about that The Mandalorian uh, season two, uh, episode one, uh, where uh, it's actually scripted by Jon Favreau. Uh, And at least from my memory, like he seems to be very good at keeping the politics or the public policy stuff 
out of the story. Uh, it's, it's uncanny and it really is a shining example. If anybody's going on a rant and saying, oh, big, dumb Hollywood, they're just making everything getting taken over by the social justice warriors. Well, not everything. I mean, this is the man who now people are counting on as having saved Star Wars. So, (laughs) I mean, people may get all ranty about Star Wars, the last Star Wars movies being, uh, being political or being SJW or something, but Favreau doesn't seem to do that. At the same time, I have to wonder when he wrote that uh, the script for the quote, if we keep fighting each other, the monster will kill us all. Like, would he have been aware of the timing? Okay, this is going to come out, uh, you know, the Friday before Election oh, Day. Oh, he had to have known. I, yeah. I think so. But it's just, it's a good message. And I, I I would not get irritated at him for thinking about that as a man, but thinking about that as a human being, as a citizen. Okay, like, this is probably a good, wholesome theme to put out there before the election. Like, that doesn't mean that message has hijacked the story because in, instead it's helped us to look at reality from a, a new vantage. We've come at it from diagonally uh, rather than straight on. I think it's actually good for stories to engage, not with politics like Democrats, Republicans, Reform Party, Green Party, whatever. What's this new one? American Solidarity Party? Yeah, props to you guys and you libertarians too. We love everybody. Uh, I think it's good for these stories to engage with public policy issues not just about those parties, but about the deeper beliefs we have behind them. The Mandalorian story, sticking with that one, for example, it's just a straight up Western, Zach. I I love it. Like the first season was very much like that, but this one had all the analogs. As my wife said earlier this day, uh, they're not even trying to pretend it's not like, I don't think they're ever trying to pretend it wasn't a Western, but they're actually doing the Western accents now. I mean, you may as well strap on a cowboy hat and some spurs. I mean, they've got their horses, you've got the buffalo, you got the Native Americans out in the desert, and you've got the townspeople, and then everybody comes together to fight the aliens. Oh, I'm sorry. That was Jon Favreau's uh, other uh, movie about cowboys versus aliens. In fact, that was the name of it, Cowboys versus Aliens, and basically the same thing happened. Cowboys and the cavalry and the Native Americans all have to come together to fight the aliens. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I I thought it was kind of fun, but it's, you know, that's just wholesome there. Like, Hey, sometimes people with different interests and different ethnicities and even maybe even different religious viewpoints need to come together to fight the actual monster. Uh, and doesn't that kind of strike a chord deep down in us as Christians? Like I wish we could just all come together and fight the monster that is actually called sin or called assault on religious liberties or called, you know, inhumane public policy over here or, or a bad war or whatever it is. Uh, stories can reduce these issues down to their elements and we see them anew. Uh, we can also simulate the consequences of particular ideas. Well, if we're saying that this law change here is just going to magically fix everything, how would that work in a story? Would that work in a story whose world is built convincingly and has people like us Or would something terrible happen with it? Uh, Science fiction is really good about playing out those consequences. That is, if it's a good uh, science fiction story. Uh, We can also see in a story simulation of reality, uh, we can see where there are some ties between beliefs. Uh, For example, um, in our our Dracula episode, again, just the episode 39, I could not help but see in this story written in the 1890s, parallels between Dracula's attack on human nature and his existence as this subhuman disordered man, an undead being. I could not help but see the parallels between that and the sexual and other type of predators of today. And especially those who, who would want to legitimize honoring or venerating one's uh, sexual identity above everything else. It's not the same thing as being a predator, but Increasingly, sometimes it's hard to tell when somebody wants you to respect their sexual identity at the expense of everything else they believe. And, and now, like, I mean, increasingly, that's a big issue for Christians. And we have to figure out, OK, how do we approach this as a matter of public policy? And how do, how do we approach this in our families and our churches where people we know and love are, are tempted to go for this worldview? So lately, I, I mean, I think we need more stories focusing on that, you know, because no one, no one is playing this out in a simulated world. It's too scary. It's too scary to deal with those, uh, you know, sexual identity issues uh, in, a, in an imaginary world. But lately, that's, you know, that's something that I think I might like to focus on, just trying to play that out and wrap my head around these things. So for me, you know, it's, it's not just a single issue about stuff that other people say is their single issue. Like, I think my single issue has changed, by the way, but 
ah, the point is that uh, we need to explore all of those issues through imagination, not just by throwing facts and nonfiction at each other. There was a movie that came out in, I believe, 2006. That, that, that's when Naomi and I watched it. And I have not seen a movie like this since, at, at least not that was so subtly done. I'm talking about this movie called The Island. Okay, now, the last 15 years, there have been a lot of pro-life movies. And and by the way, there's been a lot of pro-choice movies, I'm aware. There's The Handmaid's Tale, which is all the rage on Hulu or whatever it is. Uh, but if if you want to look at pro-life movies, those are not that common. And there are the overt ones. There's more recently Unplanned. That was the rated R Christian movie that was kind of interesting. Uh, there was Bella. There was Juno. Uh, but The Island, Stephen, is, is my favorite of these pro-life genre movies. Yes, it's because it's sci-fi <laughs> and it's very subtle. Um, but it also came out at a very interesting time for Naomi and I. We were very newly and in, in unexpectedly pregnant. So th- this was, uh, you know, our, our daughter was born just a couple weeks after our one-year anniversary of being married. And so it, our first year of marriage was, was pretty crazy. So this movie was very interesting. We, I, I don't even know if I'd, someone had told me about it because it was pro-life, but it, I, I quickly saw how it was. So again, this is spoilers if you want to skip ahead. But the, the movie is about all these people that wake up in this weird kind of futuristic facility they all have amnesia. They don't know how they got there. And they're being told, oh, well, we had to have a memory wipe because of the war that's going on. And that's why you can't leave because there's this big, scary war happening outside. Now, what it turns out is that they are all clones of rich and famous people. And they exist purely as a backup plan for those people. So they're essentially living organ donors. And they get those organs harvested whenever that's required. And there's this one really interesting moment where some people are being given a tour of the facility, like prospective clients, essentially, uh, celebrities or whatever. And then they get to see some of the clones, except it's just these kind of featureless, hairless, mute, and, and sort of paralyzed bodies that are just in these vats. And these clients are told, oh, you know, these are the clones. that They don't have a brain. They don't have a soul. Yeah, you might even call them a clump of cells. <laughs> And it's so chilling because we know, we, the audience know the truth by this point that, you know, that's all, that's all theater, that they're actual living people with souls that are essentially just being kept alive until their organs are needed. This movie, as far as I can tell, has totally disappeared from the public consciousness, Stephen. And it, it is by far the most powerful pro-life movie I've ever seen. Far as I know, it wasn't made for that reason. Now there there have been some stories by Philip K. Dick that were actually very like intentionally pro-life. And I, I kind of wonder if this movie was loosely based on one of his stories. It's so stark sometimes how these little stories like slip through the cracks like that. This sounds a little bit familiar, and I wonder if maybe one of our writers at the Speculative Faith, the blog at lorehaven.com has written about this before. If we can, if, if we do have an article like that, I'll definitely link to it in the show notes. I definitely want to go see this now, uh, not because I, I need to learn something. I need some education about a, a public policy pro-life, obviously, that I hold very close, but because it does help to feel this truth anew, you know, not just to uh, dump a bunch of cold, hard facts in your brain, but to actually feel this. And increasingly, by the way, in our culture, which uh, in which more people are valuing feelings and authenticity. Like, I think it actually helps. The facts may not care about your feelings, but we should. I do care about people's feelings. And often it is feelings and experiences that are motivating our perceptions of facts. And particularly with this one, which is charged up with so many feelings, this particular issue of public policy, uh, stories can definitely help us to, to wrestle with those. We can see that reality apart from the labels uh, even if someone is dropping in a phrase like a clump of cells. Yeah, they didn't actually say that. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, there you go. It was subtle. It was very subtle. It was something very similar to that, though, gotcha. which I'm like, wow, like who wrote this? Yeah, <laughs> that's really how, sometimes that will sneak in. And I, and I mean, I wonder if it sneaks in just apart from someone's motive. Maybe they don't even think about this as touching on public policy. I know that Frank Peretti did uh, when he wrote his novel Prophet. Uh, that dealt uh, head on with a lot of the uh, abortion and uh, sanctity of life issues. Of course, very hot among Christians uh, who are trying to influence public policy in the early 90s. 
prophet, though, was much more about uh, the issue of truth and who tells the truth and how is truth shaped by the news media. And this was, you know, the days of the six o'clock news, you know, and the, and the 11 o'clock repeat news on the uh, networks. Uh, so it's, it's very retro now. It reads very retro. His, uh, his hero is actually a lapsed uh, Pentecostal anchor man who starts seeing visions and hearing the voices of those crying out from the suffering and the bad choices that they've made. And he's trying to be, you know, Mr. Tell the Facts. And then he realizes that, well, one of his producers is actually kind of a spin doctor and now is steering the news coverage in this particular gubernatorial race, how she wants it to go. They got that supernatural edge. Uh, and, and yet I think that that book really helped to affect my views of even how the media changes things back then. It wasn't an anti-liberal media screed. Uh, it was much bigger about that. And it was about the human cost of people who are trying to change stories like that. Similarly, on the pro-life vein, one of my favorite, amazing, groundbreaking stories from Doctor Who, the tenure of the 12th Doctor. F forget which season. I think it may have been his first season. Uh, it was called Kill the Moon. And the premise of this is that for some reason, the moon is getting heavier and it's uh, beginning to uh, develop a, a, a harsher gravity, which also helps to solve the problem of convincingly showing people walking across the moon or in buildings in the moon, uh, somehow the moon's gravity has reached earth one level. Uh, <laughs> but for whatever reason, like, you know, the moon is having earthquakes on it and the doctor and his companion Clara show up and then, okay, big spoilers here again, 30 second gap. If you need to skip it, go. It turns out that as a famous poet once observed, the moon is actually a Griffin's egg and it's about ready to hatch. Oh, and wow. our crew of astronauts and the doctor and Clara are suddenly faced with this crazy ethical dilemma. Do we kill the moon? If we Ooh. kill the child within the moon, then the moon is not going to explode and threaten the earth. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, the, the ethical dilemma there is just absolutely extraordinary. But once they've gone there, they go even further. Because there's, a, re there's a, a resolution to this, but then Clara goes to the doctor. I think she actually cusses at him, like, you know, the new Doctor Who can do that. And she says, how dare you do that to us? And by the way, it's Clara and a female astronaut who have been, you know, they get this ethical situation thrown in their lap. And she's just screaming at him, how could you treat us that way? Just leave that decision to us and then run off. Like, that was terrible. You had no idea what I was feeling. I needed you to be there for me. And she just reads him the riot act. And suddenly you thought, oh, he's the hero. You know, he's the he's the good guy who knows all the answers. And he did know the answer, but also just the way that he just dropped that on them and then skedaddled off in his TARDIS uh, was pretty terrible. Uh, and the story holds that up for consideration. Like, wait a minute, you know, doctor may have been right, but how did he how did he share uh, that truth? Uh, there are multiple other science fiction stories, Star Trek and others about human dignity and the value of life. And then, uh, you know, a lot of that, of course, has been taken over by some social justice warrior stuff or, you know, some some progressivist uh, religious assumptions. Uh, but even the recent series Star Trek Picard, I uh, thought, uh, helped to explore uh, human nature in, uh, in a way that felt a lot closer to that classic humanism. Like it actually took the idea of this uh, more negative future for the Federation and then held that up for examination alongside the classic virtues of the Federation. You know, this this idea that humans or humanoid species are in possession of unique dignity and we ought to fight for life. And even in complex situations, uh, we've got to get together sometimes, uh, even from our different backgrounds and fight the real monsters. Well, and that's so true, Stephen, just going back to that point for a minute, there's been a lot of research done about social media and how so much of it is actually bot farms that are created by foreign agitators. It's kind of like the kids in the lunchroom when they think, when they see two people arguing, they just start going, fight, 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 fight. Naomi grew up in a high school like this where every week there was a fight and you would just hear it. You, you would, you, and everyone would be running down the halls to see a fight. And, you know, it all, it usually starts with, with those kind of agitator people that just want to see a fight and get everyone excited about a fight. And the United States has other countries that doesn't like it. There are a lot of governments that would love to see us just destroy ourselves. So just, just to get a little uber patriotic here, I love that we're in a country 
where we can make these decisions peacefully. Let's, let's hope so. Let's, let's pray that <laughs> this whole process right now is peaceful, but man, we, we've had 250 years of this, uh, of, of peaceful elections and a secret ballot. Hey, that's a wonderful thing. You don't have to tell anyone who you voted for, but what a privilege that is. And what, uh, what an amazing blessing that is that we've had that. Stephen, I, I've lived in other countries in the world that haven't had that and have even been through very recently some very tumultuous uh, situations. And so uh, let's just keep that in mind. You know, whoever we choose as a country, we, hey, we, get, we got to choose them. It wasn't uh, sort of chosen for us by others. Amen. And we can also benefit from stories that show that that kind of attitude, but like poised to be in a constant state of revolution, uh, the fight, fight, fight attitude, or, or as I put it, you know, living life based on an anti, uh, that will not make you happy. You have to deconstruct that idol. And yet another Doctor Who episode, I've actually, I think I've referenced it before on the podcast, is where uh, the doctor, same one. Same author as the last episode I was talking about as well. Um, unfortunately, I've gone blank on his name, but if I remember it, I'll put it in the show notes. I probably need to put this video clip in the show notes. Uh, the doctor is trying to resolve a conflict between humans and an alien species who's been dwelling secretly on Earth and they're shapeshifters, so you didn't know they're there. And he's trying to prevent them from going to war. And he is actually making appeal to the alien and pleading with her please don't do this. You know, if you want your revolution, like, are you thinking about what's going to happen afterwards? Like what happens mm. after you win your revolution? Uh, are there going to be violins? Are people going to play violins? Are they going to be at peace? Like what, what is your game plan for the peace? And of course she doesn't have one. She, she has appointed herself, uh, the virtuous hero to rescue the victims. And yet he calls her to task for that. If she is really that powerful, then she is, can't play the victim card in her case. And she may not be rightfully representing the victims she claims to represent. And he calls her to account. And he also calls, of course, his, you know, her human counterpart uh, to account. But more so, he challenges the person who's just heck bent on revolution and pleads with her to recognize that she may win. But then what's going to happen to her and what's going to happen to the other people who don't fit in? Are they then going to rise up against her? Probably. And he just pleads with her, break the cycle, break the cycle. I said, so that's just someone the other day and he posted a picture of a broken cycle. So I go, well, well, what do you know? You broke it. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and I think sometimes pictures and like the humor you mentioned earlier, Zach, you know, some of that may just be the only way that we get along. And I think that's mm -hmm. why more people are being concerned about cancel culture and, uh, you know, the poisoning of what were shared cultural or popular cultural spaces with particular political agendas. Now we don't have a, you know, a common space that's more free of those kinds of public policy debates or politics conflicts to, to come and try to mingle with each other and understand one another. You remove those shared cultural spaces and then there's nowhere to go. You're just going to heat it up even further and further. And so whatever way we can be a release valve in our appreciation of stories, uh, or images or imaginations can hopefully help. And I guess that's my third point there is that stories help us see that we cannot simply bludgeon one another with facts and nonfiction. We have images, we have experiences, and we have associations that we've made between symbols and what we think. And if you step on those, uh, then people are not going to be happy. That's why lately I've been trying to balance like wherever I post about public policy, I've also been trying to just put up little memes or little things to challenge people, including myself. I mean, it's such a messed up presidential election anyway, that almost <laughs> everything challenges me right now. I, I can't just see a news story and go rah, rah. Uh, there's always yeah. some subtext or asterisk or what about, or yes, but the issues are still there. The concerns that people have, uh, the, the hatreds, the loves, the patriotism or the patriotism going the other way. Like, all of those desires and associations and imaginations that people have have not gone away. They cannot be confronted with a think piece. They can't be confronted by a podcast. And you definitely don't get through to and understand the person who thinks these things without engaging with their world. I'm so in another cage stage right now at people who are going, you can't engage the people who support this guy over here. Their view is not serious. 
you can't engage with them. And I, I, I don't know what else to say to that, but you know, as the author of a book called The Pop Culture Parent, I hope I'm not just drawing this parallel where it, where it doesn't exist, but like, you, you can't say that about a thing. You can't just say, well, that's not serious. I'm not going to engage with that person. They're beyond the pale. Like, unless it's porn, yes, you jolly well should engage it in order to understand that. And if you don't have the time and that's not your calling, then don't pretend the nonfiction bludgeoning that you're doing is doing any good. It's not. It's just designed to try to help you cope. Instead, I think if you want to do some good here, we need to be sharing memes, funny stuff, and stories. Those can help connect us in those common spaces. We may not agree on whether or not we love or hate president or candidate X, but we might love and agree with the fact that we like the Mandalorian or we like superheroes or we like this particular sports team. Just rooting for the same thing and understanding the the basic human experiences uh, can help us to understand one another. I hope, I hope, I really hope that we can still do that. Uh, those things can also help subvert our weird ideas. That's what I'm trying to do. And we can also remember that even people who we're not going to disagree with, even the bad guys, even the really, really bad guys who want to take away religious freedom, like I mean, the, the folks that I would get strongest about in my own rhetoric, even those people have tragic backstories. And we've got to listen to those. Like sometimes they have suffered great wrong because of someone or some group that called themselves Christian. Or perhaps they know someone who suffered such a great wrong and they've identified their story with that person's story and they're trying to be a hero to that person. It's all personal backstory mixed in with these strong beliefs. Lived experience shapes their beliefs. And like, for example, no one is ever curious about socialism only because they think the socialists are making a great point. So they just happen to check a Karl Marx book out of the library or something like that. They're socialism curious, partly because of bad experiences. They feel like they were promised something by the American dream or capitalism or whatever labels they want. And they say, well, that didn't work. You know, I'm hurting right now. I'm suffering. You know, my family's in shambles. I can't put food on the table. Gee, that candidate who's talking about something called socialism sure sounds good. I think I'll follow after that guy. I think Stories and connected experiences can help us to feel sympathy for that person, even if we disagree with them. Well, you're right about it being a place of common ground that we can enjoy things together that we, that, uh, the social media algorithms think that we, we wouldn't enjoy together because we, we've gotten so uh, polarized. The, uh, something you said a minute ago just made me, uh, think of something that, you know, we can't fight evil with evil and <laughs> we can't just obliterate the other side and, and hope that it won't affect us at all. One of my favorite fantasy series is the wheel of time. And in the very first book, the eye of the world, the heroes find this abandoned city called Eridol, which act that was the old name. And now it's called Shadar Logoth. But when it was Eridol and when it was um, a city with people. So th this is like going to some history of the story world. It was fighting against the Dark One and in the Trollock Wars, okay, fighting like real evil. But this man came in named Mordith, and it says uh, he won the ear of the of the king and advised that in order to defeat the Shadow, Erdal needed to become more, he needed to become crueler and more merciless than its enemies. Side note, I'm pretty sure this is based on uh, in Lord of the Rings. What's the guy's worm tongue? A gram of worm tongue. Yeah, which I'm like, how do you let that guy at the throne room? Come on. I'm sure it was just his uh, gangster name and everybody's, <laughs> oh, that's where he calls himself Wormtongue. His real name is Larry. <laughs> so what what goes on with Eridol, this is, again, this is all before the book uh, opens, is that people became so mistrusting of one another and they became so merciless that that everyone basically slaughtered everyone else all in one night. And then the city sort of broke down even further, became haunted or something. And then this, this evil fog sort of monster called Mashadar was, was created by this. And it says it's an evil, almost as great as the shadow itself, the dark one, or which is, you know, Sauron in this world. But that, that really just, man, that speaks to me so much. I've been rereading this book because Amazon is turning it into a live action series. And 
my goodness, like you can fight a monster and then become a monster if you're not careful. And that isn't to say we should pull away from politics or that we shouldn't vote or we shouldn't even be in, involved in campaigns. You look at all throughout the Bible, God's people were were very well seated in places of power and in ways that they could influence the king. And so I, I think that Christians should be involved, but we, we have to realize that there is this temptation to sort of become worse than the shadow and trying to destroy it. Well, if I have one thing to end on, I think it would be this, uh, that even though uh, the veneer has come off of the political issue, you know, you don't have people being nearly as nice in their rhetoric as they were before, at least in the presidential elections, uh, there's actually could be a blessing to that, that maybe then Christians are not supposed to be nearly as comfortable with voting for these candidates. You know, maybe that old and golden age of feeling some measure of satisfaction that you get to vote for candidate X for president, maybe that will never come back. Maybe you're not supposed to, you know, whether you vote or not vote. I think it, it may be very healthy that we feel uncomfortable with this. Uh, not that we feel like we shouldn't have to be a part of this, uh, but we might need to feel a, a tinge of regret as we as we do this civic responsibility. I mean, for example, I think a Christian who is in uh, you know emergency services or who is a police officer or a soldier or a firefighter who has to make hard choices every day, those people don't come back from their jobs when they are able to get off of them and go, yes, I, I failed to save a patient today. There's going to be regret. There's going to be like, I, I don't know whether I, I made the right choice. I, I Maybe I should have treated that other burn victim first, you know, and then this other one wouldn't have died. Like, I can't imagine what it's like to live that way because I feel very sheltered. And yet many Christians in these hazardous fields feel that way all the time. To say nothing of pastors and those in vocational ministry, they're making hard choices all the time and we're not supposed to feel comfortable. And any of that discomfort needs to take us back to Jesus, not away from this world into which he has sent us, but we have to go back to Jesus and beg him for the strength to get through, even as we're making these hard choices. And stories, I think, can help us to also uh, recreate, to reboot, and look at reality anew in these fantastical worlds, and then go right back into it. Amen to all that. And now let's hear from the fantastic fans. We've got a note from LG McCary here in the mailbag who writes, quote, Zach's comments about how he would fall asleep watching 24 remind me of the story. Back in high school, a camp director started a sermon by saying that for him, watching Star Trek was a sin. I rolled my eyes because I grew up on Star Trek. Then he explained that he usually did his quiet time in the evenings before bed. And he found that when he watched Star Trek, he was so excited or interested in what he just watched that he couldn't focus on reading his Bible and hearing from God. He finally quit watching the show altogether. He ended the sermon by saying, I'm not saying watching Star Trek is a sin. I'm saying, for me, Star Trek damaged my relationship with God and watching it became a sin. I want you to think about the things in your life that might not be inherently sinful, but are still a hindrance to your walk with Christ. Throw them off so you can run your race well, even if it feels silly. End quote. Amen. That is so good. What wisdom there. And what a great way to apply, by the way. I mentioned earlier some some leaders, you know, they're they're not necessarily as gifted with the application as they are uh the initial study of the word. This is a great way to apply biblical holiness to the real world and the fact that sometimes your mileage may vary. I'm just I'm really grateful to hear this. So Thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah, I'm reminded of the proverb that says, don't wear yourself out to get rich. And that very much could apply to consumption of stories or consumption of streaming media, especially with the binge watching being so easy to do. And literally, we can wear ourselves out. We can stay up all night watching a show and just keep keep letting autoplay make the decision for us. And then before long, we don't have any, we didn't get any sleep and we can't face the day. And we are, we are worn out getting rich on stories. And so absolutely, they're, they're, they have to be in the right place. And I think that's really the theme of this whole episode for me, Stephen, is that none of these things are inherently wrong. It's when they're in the wrong place that they're a problem. Exactly. And if you have a similar experience or hopefully a, a bit of wisdom that someone shared with you about uh, how to apply uh, God's uh, commands for holiness and 
match that up with uh, what you feel you you want or need uh, from the story, the world of storytelling, uh, send us a note about that at podcast at lorehaven.com. Of course, you're also welcome to tag us on the social medias or post a comment in uh, the show notes at lorehaven.com for this episode. Speaking of streaming media, though, that takes us to our next episode on Fantastical Truth. For me personally, I am down one streaming service, actually two, uh, which brings us to the question of boycotts or canceling things like Netflix or even the uh, the previous or uh, current Christian boycotts of Halloween or maybe even talk about the uh, the old boycott attempt of Disney in the 1990s. We're going to explore this question. Do boycotts work? Should Christians even try this method of trying to influence their culture, maybe steer these streaming services toward uh, something that uh, isn't so pornographic or isn't so exploitative of children in this instance? So, hey, Zach, why not just go into this while we've already uh, taken an episode very carefully poking around the political and public policy issues? Fortunately for this episode, we are planning to host writer Cap Stewart, who's a friend of mine, and uh, he has looked into this question of boycotts and uh, trying to understand these streaming services. And in light of the recent hashtag cancel Netflix controversy, we thought it would be a great time to explore this big topic. Meanwhile, whether you vote or don't vote or vote and cringe or somehow find a way of voting and being happy, well, props to you if you can do that last part, but make sure you realize that this age this present evil age is not our home. I believe this world is our home, but not as it is now, as it will be when the true Prince of Peace arrives. The one who is the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, Prince of Peace. The government will be on his shoulders and thank God that he is the only one holding up any of our flawed political systems as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth.